Hi there. Welcome to our KCTS 9 Vote 2016 podcast series. I'm Joni Balter, KCTS 9 political analyst, sitting here in the studio with my good friend C.R. Douglas, political analyst for Q13. Hey, C.R. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. It's great to be here. This political season is just getting underway. Just, just having fun here, aren't we? So it was a big political week here in Washington state. C.R., let's talk Trump. I mean, what else are you going to do? Donald Trump in Washington state, Everett, to be exact. I'm going to start just with my quick take. Uh, what exactly, I'm thinking to myself, is Trump doing in Washington? This is a blue state. Everybody knows that. It might even be what you would call a double-digit blue state. So maybe Hillary Clinton takes this state by 10, 11, 12 percent. So think about us. Think about how weird it was for him to be here. The last Republican president we voted for, if I'm not mistaken, was Ronald Reagan in 1984. The last member of the U.S. Senate elected here, I'm talking about Republicans, was Slade Gorton in 1994. So if you look at that and you look at the polling, I don't know. I don't get why Donald Trump came here so close to the election. Seemed like he was wasting time. Well, here's my take. It is unusual. We aren't this battleground state, as you say. It's unlikely he's going to win this. But even even though it's a blue state, there's a lot of red cash. And he did do a fundraiser, raised about a million bucks in, in less than an hour or something like that. So we do see candidates from both parties coming here for money. But, to but that's a, always been true, but they didn't have to waste their time. Like, right. Then, then, to, then to add a rally, which, yeah. you know, is time and money, is something we haven't seen. My suspicion is that that he really gets energized on rallies. This is something that that works really well for him. It sort of it sort of gets him going every single day. So to have a rally for him was as much about getting Trump re-energized as it was, you know, trying to win voters uh, in Washington. And also, it was just a way to get on the news cycle. So so that rally was covered around the country. And, and so he was that, he yeah. was sort of in the evening news. And it, it didn't matter for the rest of the country where that rally was taking place. So that, you know, that is like the actual definition of an extrovert. They derive energy from their crowds. And what I was thinking as I was trying to explain this to myself, because I absolutely could not explain this to myself, uh, seems like he like was going with the rock star thing, you know. Look at my crowds. I mean, he even said, "I don't do a very good Trump," but he even said Hillary could hold her events in a porta potty and she would still have room. Um, and I ha ha ha. But you know, even even he was questioning. Uh, he was talking to Cairo, I believe, earlier in the week, and he, he sort of acknowledged the point. He said he wasn't sure it was that smart to come to Washington State, but and then he went on this riff about you know he. He likes the place and he wants to stay here and he has friends. And little side note, did you know his grandfather lived briefly in Everett and Monte Cristo? I, I have read that and had not heard that and was surprised, actually, that he didn't mention that in his speech. You know, you always kind of want to localize uh, if you have any connection at all. If your second cousin once removed lived here a century ago, you usually refer to that. But why didn't he? That's I what's know. so I interesting. I mean, right? Yeah, he, he he's... You know, he's not a typical politician. And in a way, in the rallies I've seen, he hasn't he hasn't usually localized it. Right. He so always says I have great friends. Uh -huh. And he kind of just says that as They're a boy. Great play. people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
What do you make of um, the new regime that's running his his uh, campaign? It, he, the polls have been tightening a little bit. You got to give them credit. Um, they were having a, a tough time after after the conventions. Hillary certainly got a bounce there. Um, the new regime does seem to 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 sync up with him and his personality better. Um, Is this let Trump be Trump? I I think it's let let Trump be Trump, but it's also, um, you know, they are softening his image. That's pretty clear. So the rhetoric on, you know, on illegals has kind of gotten different, illegal immigration. The rhetoric on... It's gotten more confusing, if anything, in a way. So, like, one thing I was thinking, and I don't know if you noticed this, but in Everett, in Everett specifically, he was trying to appeal, it seemed, for a couple moments there, to African-Americans a little bit at the expense of Hispanics, but all in the interest of impressing this crowd that was completely, you know, 80, 90 percent white folks who but but there's a point there. They think they're afraid to vote for a racist and so soften towards these groups over time so that so at least you hold on to your support that you have with these white men largely. Yeah, I think that's the biggest change in in his campaign leadership, meaning what we see in outreach to African-Americans talking a lot about the inner city, saying Democrats have let you down for generations. Um, He was strong on that theme here in Everett. That clearly is something that 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 they picked up when the new when the new campaign people took over. So it's 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 an interesting strategy. I think it's going to be pretty tough to make inroads in the African-American community. It's like think... 0% support, and then somebody wrote, no, that's not a typo. <laughs> yeah. That was actually the number. But I think as you say and allude to, this is as much a play for for kind of the suburban, you know, educated whites who want to feel more comfortable voting for a guy that they might have assumed was bigoted or racist and 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 his his outreach language maybe gives them some space to feel more comfortable with him. So if a couple of folks yourself included noted that uh in Everett it was the first time or one of the first times at a rally where he didn't mention the wall. Is that was that like an oversight or do you think that really um meant something. I, I think that meant something. I mean, I was surprised because at basically every rally, it is, it is. if he says anything, he says the wall and says Mexico's going to build it. And that usually gets the most crowd response of anything he talks about. Here in Everett, he said simply, we're going to be strong on border security. Now, that's, that's much softer language than a wall. And it was notable to me that he didn't, that he didn't talk about the wall. Now, since then, since he then, has he's talked about it wall. again. Yeah. So I think he's, I think he's benefiting in a, in a funny way from confusion by saying a whole bunch of different things. It's almost like a Rorschach test. Can't everybody just find something? Well, I heard he's softening. No, I heard he's very strong. And in the confusion, there are weirdly, weirdly, could be strength. Yeah, I mean, if people are just starting to pay attention, and, and, and surprisingly many are, you know, we're at this day in and day out, so we find it phenomenal that someone could just be tuning in. But if you're just tuning in and hearing some of the language, you you might feel more comfortable with Trump than if you had been hearing everything he's been saying for the last year. Now, Democrats, of course, are going to do everything they can to remind voters about everything Trump said for well, the last year. Everything's recorded, and that's what shows up in Hillary TV, Clinton's ads. Yeah, over TV and commercials, over again. radios, all the rest. 
So, you know, CR, a lot of folks were on the stage with Donald Trump when he was in Everett, and a whole lot of folks weren't on the stage. And that was most notable to me who wasn't on the stage. I mean, here you have this campaign rally, and you would typically see the leading GOP candidates up there with him, rallying the crowd, getting getting sort of, uh, you know, you know, support by by association. But the governor candidate here in Washington, uh, Bill Bryant, he wasn't there. Dave Reichert, the popular congressman running for reelection, he wasn't there. Chris Vance running for U.S. Senate. I mean, the three big candidates or certainly three of the biggest were not there. They disavow Trump. They reject him. They don't want to be with him, and that's pretty notable. And that shows you, of course, the the divide in the Republican Party here in Washington over the base who really wants Trump and the more establishment, if you will, GOP candidates who don't. Well, you did have uh, the GOP party chair, Susan Hutchison, Don Benton, a legislator from southwest Washington who's very big in the campaign, and Doug Erickson from the legislature also. But let's 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 zoom in for a second here on Bill Bryant and his very awkward uh, relationship with Donald Trump. Right. So we all know, those of us who have been paying attention anyway, that he would not. He kept trying to say, I'm not going to say if I'm for Donald Trump. And he kept saying, I'm not going to say whether I'm for Donald Trump. And then a couple weeks ago, uh, he came out and said, well, that's it. I'm not going to be for Donald Trump. Um, and I guess the key question is, is the timing good? Does it work? Is it bringing him out as some strong candidate? You know, I think it was pretty clumsy. And my sense is from talking to people that he managed to kind of offend everyone with how he handled Trump. I mean, as you say, he went for months saying, I'm not going to talk about Trump, not relevant to this governor's race. Um, and then a couple weeks ago decide, well, I guess I'm going to talk about Trump. Um, and by the way, I don't like him and I haven't liked him all along. I just decided not to say that because I didn't want to offend people. Well, he's not going to enamor himself with the base with that approach. I mean, the base of the Republican Party here loves Trump. They want their nominee for governor to support him, to want him, to vote for him, to be at rallies with him. And, and, uh, and, and he isn't. And the moderate anti-Trump independents, I don't think he's going to win them over either. I mean, here he basically is saying, um, I haven't liked Trump all along. And they're going to wonder, well, why did you wait so long? And, and, and why did you— Maybe it's too cagey, right? Yeah, and, say, and why well, didn't you what? have the courage to say all along you didn't like him? I mean, it's not going to resonate as a, as a courageous, principled act to any independent. So I don't think he wins. I think he managed to sort of offend everyone with his, with it his seems Trump like approach. You, it seems like you, he managed to offend everyone. His campaign isn't really taking off, even though voters here don't exactly love the Democratic incumbent, Jay Inslee. They are kind of, yeah, on him, right? But they like, they seem to like him significantly better than they do Bill Bryant, and they just couldn't find the right gear on Trump. But also, it's kind of a no win anyway, as you're suggesting, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think this is the the single issue that's going to doom his candidacy, though I, though I think the way he approached Trump w- wasn't great. But, you know, rewind the tape of time. There's this thought experiment. What if Ted Cruz had won? You know, the kind of the, the second guy had come in first. I don't think Bill Bryant and these other Republicans running, especially statewide, would have had any easier, 
you know, decision there. I mean, in a lot of ways, Ted Cruz is more conservative, sort of on abortion, on gay rights, uh, you know, strong evangelical. I mean, Trump is kind of a weird mishmash of, of certainly historically been a moderate, too. So I don't see a guy like Bill Bryant having having jumped in bed with Cruz had he been the nominee. Um, he might have had to distance himself from him, too. So so Trump has been a problem, but I'm not sure they would have escaped it. I think so. It's always, as we know, it's always hard to run as a Republican here in the presidential years uh, statewide. That's just a tough calculation here in Washington state. But on the other hand, I, I mean, I don't know the answer to the Ted Cruz question, but it wasn't like Ted Cruz was seemingly trying to aggravate people. I mean, Trump's had three weeks where it was like a Pez dispenser uh, of insults at this group, a fight with media people. I mean, it became very, very difficult. And if you look to sort of the leaders of the Republican Party who have gone before, the Senator Slade Gordon, uh, the Governor and Senator Dan Evans. I mean, these people were going, ah, I don't want to be anywhere near. But they didn't support Ted Cruz. They supported John Kasich. So they want they too wanted somebody a little mellower um, for that. And I'd be interested in what you think. You know, you referenced it, the the sort of presidential cycle and the kind of headwind Republicans have with the fact that we elect governors, uh, especially governors, um, on the presidential years, which are typically a higher turnout years, more more Democrats. I mean, the, the sort of math in the presidential year is, is a lot tougher. It's pretty tough. Um, and I think it was you that pointed out, CR, that 12 states uh, elect on the presidential cycle. And and so for Washington, it's Elect been, their governors. Elect their governors. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but you look at, we've, you know, Washington hasn't had a Republican governor for 32 years. And it does tie to this exact factoid um, about 12 states that elect on the presidential yeah, cycle mean, for governor. It does seem to cause that that trouble here. Because it's, it's only 12 states. Uh, most states elect governors on off years. So if you look at, there are a lot of blue states that have elected red governors. I mean... California, look at Maryland just elected one last year. Massachusetts again elected one uh, last year, and certainly Mitt Romney had been a governor of Massachusetts. Wisconsin, uh, you know, Michigan, New Jersey, all states that are pretty blue, certainly blue when it comes to presidential, you know, elections, but all have had red governors, and yet Washington has, and, and you, you ask why? Well, the answer is this cycle. I mean, they elect an off years. So if you had had, you know, Chris Christie, I don't think would have had a, a chance to be elected in New Jersey had he not run, you know, he, had been, he, he ran in 2009, not 2008. He ran in 2013, not 2012. Same thing with these other red governors. We, if we had elected an off year, I think McKenna would have very likely been able to be governor. And and the point is those off-year elections, lower turnout, usually older voters, usually whiter voters, usually more conservative voters. Republicans have a chance in off-year gubernatorial elections. They would in Washington, but we don't have them. Well, funny you would mention uh, Rob McKenna. So he's the uh, former Republican attorney general who ran in 2012. And I think there were, there were yes, presidential year is the reason he didn't beat Jay Inslee that year. But another factor, we run initiatives also, and initiatives drive turnout. And so that year, as you recall, 
there were two pretty interesting initiatives on the ballot. Uh, recreational marijuana, which won. Gay marriage, which won for gay marriage. And and if you ask Rob McKenna today, and I think we both have, um, he'll tell you that those those initiatives also were the reason he came up, you know, about about three and a half, three or three and a half points short uh, on the general election. Yeah. And I, I think there is a lot of truth to that. Um, those drove turnout. There were kind of once once in a generation topics that, that, that were galvanizing, you know, gay marriage and legalization of pot. And it wasn't so much Rob McKenna's position. Um, he was against both those. But Inslee was against marijuana legalization yeah, at the time, too. Yeah, but I think too. when people saw the D after Inslee, they, they either did or didn't know what his position because was. Because that, that's what happened. You you just – turnout got, got, got goosed, if you will, mostly oh, on totally. the left yes. for those initiatives. So you had, you had kind of a lot of progressives coming out. And when, when, then when they did, they just filled out the ballot for, for D's. And and well, and, that, me, and and you know a guy like Rob McKenna suffered. Uh, well, let me add this: I do feel that if you are a Republican running in Washington for governor in those presidential years, as we've been discussing, you have to distinguish yourself as a different kind of Republican. And I've mentioned this to Rob McKenna because I'm on the radio with him sometimes, and, and and you are as well. And I said to him, I said, you know, it didn't really matter. You should have picked one or the other, pot or gay marriage, and just shown. I support one just to show that you were a different kind of Republican. Okay, well, let me let me kick this to um, the U.S. Senate race. I mean, we're not really talking about it. Why aren't we talking about it that much? <laughs> what do you, are we just thinking it's it's um, it's kind of decided? Well, I you know uh, pretty much. I mean, partly why we're not talking about it is that Chris Vance, who's a good guy, is challenging Patty Murray, has such an uphill battle. And he's raised not much money at all, you know, three, four hundred thousand, maybe she's raised, you know, over 10 million, something like that. It's it, it, it's, you Why know, does it seems so over. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's it's over for a couple of reasons. One is um, you just can't mount an effective, realistic statewide campaign with three or four hundred thousand dollars. Especially when you're talking about an incumbent who's got a you know but popular he track by the record. Books. He disassociated himself from Trump from the very beginning. He said he is never Trump, not going to happen. Never moved. Took the bold stance. It didn't seem to help. And actually, yeah, he did worse actually than Bill Bryant, who who at that point had sort of taken the fifth on Trump uh, through the primary. Yeah, Chris. You know, I think there were a lot of things that 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 contributed to his pretty dismal showing in the primary. One was, I think, the anti-Trump thing ended up working against him. I mean, the fact is, it's very hard for the base of a party to get excited about you if you're not for the nominee. So he kind of lost the base, and he just didn't get any any benefit from the from the middle by being by being anti-Trump. What about this idea, uh, more focused on Patty Murray, the incumbent Democratic senator? who Chris Vance is running against. What about this idea? I'm wondering, and I, I, I'm one of these geeks that likes to look at the Secretary of State's uh, county-by-county county voting, the map, and wow, Patty Murray, I mean, she had bigger numbers than Chris Vance in a whole bunch of eastern Washington counties that are usually those counties for the Republican candidate. And so I'm wondering if, um, and thinking, that Patty Murray is becoming more like um, Scoop Jackson was to this state. 
uh, a long time ago. She's almost it's almost like she's the senator for the whole state, Democrats and Republicans. Now, we all know she's a Democrat. She's a partisan person, but she does work across the aisle. And so it does sort of feel like she's our Patty. She's, you know, all states Patty. I think she's really effectively kind of kind of kept this mom and tennis shoes thing that that she ran on in 1992 and, and won on. She has been in Washington 24 years now. It's a long time, but she's not seen as a creature of Washington. She she has she has and even though she's in the leadership, what number three in the Senate in terms of four. Democrats? Number four. I think it's three now that oh, Harry Reid's gone, but yeah, you know right. she's certainly up there, a key player, and yet she isn't she isn't tainted with this kind of Washington has corrupted her. She still lives in kind of this modest house and, you know, not, not, not you know, hasn't enriched herself. She's also, you're right, a partisan, um, but has done a lot of bipartisan things that I think explain why she has some appeal even on the other side of the state. I mean, she just brokered a deal with Republicans on um, renewing the No Child and, and and updating the No Child Left Behind Act, which is problematic. I mean, she got a lot of kudos from the right for that. She brokered this deal with Paul Ryan. Yeah, you know, a couple years ago, bipartisan. Kind of, Everybody's like, whoa, to avert the shutdown, and 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 so she's she has worked across the aisle. I mean, I mean, there are a lot of Republicans that 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 think highly of her. So just so that we can hit some of the other notes here, uh, you and I were talking uh, briefly before we did this this taping about the Secretary of State's race. Why is it such a big race? I mean, it's really close. Once we looked at those final numbers, uh, the the race between incumbent Republican Kim Wyman and her Democratic challenger, uh, Tina Podlodowski, who we all know. Uh, from the Seattle City Council. I mean, she did... Yeah, she, we've all covered her there. We've all, yeah. we've all covered her yeah. there. She also has worked at Microsoft and in technology and stuff like that. But this race is like one and a half to two points. What, what are you thinking about that? Well, um, and it is getting a lot more attention. You're right. And I think part of the reason is is because the Senate race is, is low profile and there's not a competitive attorney general race you know we typically that's that's usually the second race we talk about we can talk about the governor's race and the ag race but the republicans aren't even aren't even competing in that so that that has kind of freed up space if you will for this for this uh secretary of state race my take and i'd like to know what you think my sense is that that this is a pretty interesting challenge to kim wyman um you haven't really had you haven't. Democrats haven't really. I mean, Democrats haven't won this office for like fifty years, right? right. They just have not know, been able to get a, a, a foothold in this. I'll just interject yeah. for one sec that she is the only elected Republican statewide on the West Coast. Although that's about to Kim change. Wyman. Kim yeah, Wyman yeah, is yeah. because um, that's about to change because we have two Republican candidates Running for, for treasurer, treasurer. Yeah, right? Yeah. But that's her distinction. Sorry, go yeah. go, go on. Um, so, so Democrats have this year, um, you know, a, 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 a pretty savvy candidate. You know, she's raising quite a bit of money. Democrats are really behind her. She's got message discipline. Here I'm talking about Tina Pawlodowski. And, you know, she's, she's, she's been able to hone in on some of Kim Wyman's vulnerabilities, mostly voter turnout, which has been lower in the four years since Kim Wyman's been Secretary of State than any, you know, than certainly the previous four comparable elections. So... Tina's making a lot of that, and she's also running in a year where Democrats that have D a real tailwind. Really, you know, really rocking that yeah. D at the end of her name seems to be right. 
uh, a lot of of what's going on here. And I also I don't know. Can you blame a secretary of state for um, for turnout is one of the thoughts I have for whatever reason, as you said earlier. Republicans have held this office um, for a long time, uh, and oddly enough, we often have folks who have, have been Thurston County auditors. And I don't know that the Thurston County part of that is so important, but the auditor part of that, which is, is the pretty, election administrator right. for Thurston County. So, how does yeah. Tina Podlodowski, I was on the Seattle City Council, prepare her or even propel her uh, to this job? I, that's that's a little bit of a head scratcher, but but you but you can make a case for it. In a well, way. and here's the case she's making because she has no background in elections administration, which Kim Wyman certainly does. I mean, Kim Wyman, you're right. Before she was Secretary of State running elections, she was the Thurston County Auditor for what 10, 12 years running elections. So this is what she does for a living. Tina's never done it, so you would say, well, that's a real liability, uh, and certainly. Kim Wyman is pointing that out. But Tina, Tina's pretty effectively trying, at least, to rebrand the whole office so, right. that, so that this is a tech job. Right. She talks, I mean, the debate. Well, what about the hackers? Maybe yeah. it is a tech job. <laughs> right. What about the hackers? Maybe Ballot it is security, a tech. because Maybe we do allow, I think we do allow military folks to email in at, at least part of their ballots or, or they use email if they don't get their ballots in time, something like that. But but Tina's point is that, hey, I worked at Microsoft. I know tech. I've I've led a bunch of projects. When I was at Seattle City Council, one of my biggest things was leading a, an overhaul of the tech system there. And so she's trying to make the case that the Secretary of State's job would be much better and we'd be better served if we had a tech person there. We Our voter turnout would be better. Our voter registration would be better. I have all kinds of innovative things. So I don't know if that's going to work, but it's probably the best you can do if you have absolutely no background in elections administration. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll, yes, I'll go with this. I'll go with this. So, and I mean, I'll just add, and, and we should roll on to these initiatives here in a second, but I'll just add that even though the job is partisan, it's defined as that, that the individual in the job shouldn't really play a very partisan game because sometimes you have to help with, say, close elections like we've had here before. So the person who can conduct themselves in the sort of most moderate, that does seem, to me anyway, that seems like something that um, should be should well, be and that's certain, to them. And that's job. certainly what Kim Wyman's saying. She's saying, listen, I'm a nonpartisan. I'm not here to grind the axe for Republican policies, even though I am a Republican. I'm here to to run fair elections. And Tina is is much more of a partisan. She's not shying away from that. She's talking about, you know, the it's voting a good rights act and the partisanship that she has, because D is very important this yeah, year. Right. But uh right. She's gonna try and ride that wave. But uh, you know, I I tend to sort of I think come down where you are, which is that, you know, when you have close elections like we did in 2004, I mean, you know, you want to trust we had, the I think person, we had the right, right person yeah, at the did. right place. That was Sam when that, Reed. Sam who, Reed. Who'd been a Thurston County auditor. Yeah, and he was a Republican, place. but he was, he, he was, he made a lot of important decisions during that recount, which was very contentious. Decisions that favor, in terms of like what ballots you count when, some that favor Republicans, some that favor Democrats, kind of anger both sides. He really played it in the middle. He was not a partisan in that recount. And, and, and I think that served the state very well. So I'm going to... Uh, cram two initiatives into maybe a little less than three minutes here. Uh, 
So there are. Again, it's just like 2012. There's a couple of initiatives that are going to drive turnout and enthusiasm um, on the ballot. The one I I am pretty interested in is the gun measure. It's uh, Initiative 1491, and it essentially is a restraining order for a family member up to one year uh, for a family member who feels that, that a relative is a danger to himself or others. You go into court, you get a restraining order. And a restraining order to, to, to forfeit the, the gun. To, to, separate they have to from forfeit the gun. gun. They actually yeah. would take a, an existing gun. It's yeah. not just about a future. Uh, lawmakers in California passed such legislation. That's what's where the folks uh, backing this came up with the idea. Uh, seems like it could be a national trendsetter. Yeah, there's clearly a gun control agenda in Washington state. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, you had the background check initiative. This is sort of the next uh, iteration, if you will. There's a lot of cases where, you know, we've even had them locally, but you, but some of the, I think even the San Bernardino killer and, and to some extent the, the, the Orlando shooter, I mean, there were family members who were concerned. The Cafe Racer, you know, oh, this, this, the massacre we this, had, yeah. you know, five yeah. people in, in up in Wallingford or whenever it was a couple years ago. You know, the family tried to do something. They were worried about him, but there was nothing you could sort of do. So this initiative is trying to answer when family and friends, I think, are worried. They have through this initiative, if it wins, a sort of a sort of vehicle by which they could go to a court, a judge, and, and have a gun, a gun removed from someone's possession. The most interesting thing in preparation for this, you and I were discussing this on the phone, we could not find much of a campaign for no on this. So that is very interesting. Yeah, I don't think the gun rights people are as are as energized about this. They 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 were much more worried about universal background checks where you're talking about guns that everyone was buying. When it, when you're talking about people who are danger to themselves and others, I mean I, I think kind of on paper they don't like this, but there's just no money coming to the no side. They they're they're not taking up this fight. So I would like to real quickly just um uh, 1433, the $13.50 an hour statewide measure. Uh, this has, uh, you know, stronger yeses and nos, slightly stronger yeses and nos on this. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it'll probably win. You know, there, the, 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 the ground has shifted so quickly and so much a minimum wage. You know, a couple of years ago, $15 seemed just crazy. Mm. Seattle was like so out there. Yeah, that's a, such lefties yeah. out there You know, and now you have How other cities do who have done it. You have two states that have done 15. You have presidential candidates. I mean, Bernie Sanders was certainly talking about 15. But, you know, it's not so unusual to, to be doing these these uh, these minimum wage hikes. So thirteen fifty, you know, it's a big hike from 947 or whatever it is now but but there's just a lot more it's a lot more mainstream it seems like you know look they could have said $15 statewide but i think 1350 and it's graduated it stair steps up i mean it shows that there was some restraint that that the folks backing this understand that seattle is not exactly like all the other parts of the state and so it has like a sensitivity to it i mean to, it, know, looks like measures, these, it looks it like looks, a compromise. These it looks like a compromise, and these measures pass in red states, not this high. Certainly not a number this high. So, CR, we could do this for days, yeah. and we should, and we, we got will. It. We're just <laughs> but we're it, just scratching the surface here. We're just scratching the surface because <laughs> that is all we have time for. However, so I want to say thanks for listening to Joni Balter and CR Douglas on Vote 2016. For more election coverage, join us. On KCTS 9, vote 2016. See you later. 
Thank you, CR. That was great fun. It was, it was tons of fun. 